It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio on a frigid Saturday morning for just some breaking news, not really anymore, but huge news nonetheless. On Friday afternoon, around 4 o'clock, just before 4 o'clock, it was released that Terrence Shannon Jr. was granted his temporary restraining order and his suspension from Illinois basketball was effectively over and done with. It wasn't that long afterwards, maybe another half hour, when the U of I released a statement saying that basically we accept the decision and we're going to follow the rest of this court case as it proceeds. In other words, not a statement from the U of I which indicates that they're going to really fight this thing. So within the span of one hour on Friday afternoon, talk about a Friday afternoon news dump, which is the signature thing for news, right? If you want something to get out there and just kind of get ignored or forgotten about by the end of the weekend, do it on Friday afternoon. I don't think that was what the judge was going for. And this is such big news that I don't think the Friday news dump really applies to this. This has ramifications, of course, for this team and the rest of the season, for Terrence Shannon Jr., as a basketball player and as a person. I mean, this is gigantic for him. And this could be big for college sports. This is now a new precedent that has been set that will probably find its way into other court cases as players find themselves suspended for violating athletic department policies and such. So I'm not going to pretend to know the long-lasting legal ramifications of this. But what we're going to talk about today are the immediate and rest-of-the-season implications for this team. I did read the case this morning. Again, I'm not going to pretend to be a legal expert, but I read the 38-page filing from the judge, and I broke it down and found the areas in which Terrence's team won the arguments, the one area which they did not win the argument, which was the big one, you would think, and why the judge ultimately sided with Terrence. I know there's some people here in the chat window on an early Saturday morning, so hey, light that up. We will get to all the chat uh, thread questions and comments that you might have. You know, there's the other element of this too, which were the Illini fan podcast. So, I mean, we're going to talk about, as fans, how do we react to this? There is the obvious excitement of getting an All-American player back to pretend otherwise would be disingenuous. To see Terrence Shannon Jr. play basketball, that's a fun thing to watch. And for this team, it inevitably, or uh, what word am I looking for? Sure, we'll go with that. I'm sorry. It's it's Saturday morning. I'm struggling with my vocab. (laughs) It makes them better. Unequivocally makes them a better basketball team. So, How do we reconcile some of these things? Because there is a natural murkiness. Because this court case will not be solved. It will not be figured out in all likelihood before the season's over. So when you're at the State Farm Center or when you're watching away games with your friends, I don't know, how do you fan? There's a lot of ways to do that. And I don't know if there's that many right or wrong ways because at the end of the day, we don't know fully what happened in Lawrence, Kansas. We have our biases. And I think most Illini fans have been honest about those biases, and I try to be as honest as I can be about those as well. We'll get into all that. I want to hit up the sponsors real quick, and what we're going to do is I read this 38-page thing, so if you don't want to, you don't have to, and I try to break it down check mark by check mark. Why did Terrence and his team win this case? First, of course, DPDO. I'm on a DPDO.com for all the best deals and prices. DPDO.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. 
So go online, get a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. That is dpdo.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he could be your guy as well. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, give them a call at 217-841-4728. Yeah, it's cold, you might have noticed. If you need your furnace checked out, if it's not quite operating up to snuff, give them a call today at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. And finally, Owen Builders, LLC, online at owenbuildersllc.com for home additions, patios, decks, Check out a gallery of their work. Great stuff online at owenbuildersllc.com. Also, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate them and appreciate you all for joining us on an early Saturday morning. We're going head-to-head against Sportsline. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, I'm coming for you. As a lifelong resident of Champaign-Urbana, 9 o'clock on Saturdays, that's Sportsline time on WDWS. The only time that we tried to fight that or compete against that was when Steve Breitweiser and I did the Let's call it the precursor of the 200 level, which was College Game Day Live on ESPN 93.5. We wanted to do our own pregame show. I wanted to wait. I would have done this on Friday afternoon, but this is the kind of thing where I wanted to sleep on it. Plus, who's listening to podcasts at Friday at 7, 8 o'clock? You should be out there drinking, having fun. Well, on the Saturday morning, here we are with a night's sleep to kind of reflect on everything that transpired yesterday. And I'm going to go over in this, let's call it like five minutes. This is the Sparknotes version of what the judge filed yesterday. I broke it down into the different legal standards that Terrence's team was trying to win in court. They had multiple legal standards that they were presenting to the judge, and they were Title IX, property interest, liberty interest, procedural fairness, and irreparable harm. Oh, and balance of harms. Now, here is the legal standard that the judge was looking at. I took this directly from the TRO. um, What do they call it? Findings, results. This is where my legalese sucks. From Judge Lawless. To obtain preliminary injunctive relief, a plaintiff must show that one, his underlying case has some likelihood of success on the merits. Two, no adequate remedy at law exists. And three, he will suffer irreparable harm without the injunction. If those three factors are shown, the court must then balance the harm to each party and to the public interest from granting or denying the injunction. So, one, likelihood of success in the merits. Two, no adequate remedy at law. Three, suffer irreparable harm. All right, starting with Title IX here. Now, we thought probably going in that this was the big thing that Terrence and his team was fighting for, that... Terrence has not afforded Title IX protections. Here's what Judge Lawless wrote. The plaintiff claims that he has some likelihood of success on the merits of showing that the alleged incident took place during a, quote, education program or activity of Illinois because, quote, an Illinois employee in the scope of his employment at Illinois in furtherance of Illinois interest transported plaintiff and oversaw his trip to Lawrence, end quote. Hobson states the assistant coaches directed him, this is Hobson, the grad assistant, directed him to drive the two basketball players to and from Lawrence and oversee their activities that night. The Illinois coaches deny directing Hobson to monitor or oversee plaintiff's activities while in Lawrence, Kansas. So apparently, according to this filing, Hobson and Terrence Shannon are actually roommates. 
U of I and Whitman state that Hobson is not a grad assistant. He's a student manager. So they wanted to say that. Also, the coaches deny directing Hobson to do these things, even though Hobson says the coaches did direct him to do these things. Oh, boy. I read this and I got a little bit of, uh-oh. <laughs> do we got coaches stepping in this? I, I don't know if that's going to be something that is a sticking point going forward or something they need to address. I'll leave that to the guys in the press conference rooms. So, from the judge. Based on the foregoing, the court concludes the plaintiff has not established the requisite likelihood of success on the merits of his Title IX claim. In short, right here, Judge Lawless is saying Title IX does not apply here. She considered the fact that it was a U of I adjacent grad assistant, student manager, whatever you want to call it, driving two basketball players to and from Lawrence, Kansas. And she, the judge, sort of said, yeah, I get it, but that's not good enough, essentially. This is not good enough to grant you Title IX protection. So we move on. And this is why Terrence and his team filed many different, uh, what would we call it? Sorry, computer going off there. This is why Terrence and his team filed many different um, claims, complaints. God, I suck at this legal stuff. That's why I just copied and pasted from the TRO. Okay, property interest is the next thing that the attorneys for Terrence were going for. From the decision, plaintiff's participation in sports is vital to the development of his career as well as his current and future economic opportunities, considering plaintiff's intention to declare for the 2024 NBA draft. This is in the decision. Prior to his suspension, plaintiff was projected to be a lottery pick in the NBA. They even cite a document here. His participation in future games impacts his prospects in the draft and his earning potential. Courts have concluded that participation in athletics, quote, must be deemed a property interest protected by the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, end quote. In light of the intersection between these policies and the impact on his future career opportunities, plaintiff's property interest claim has some likelihood of success on the merits. So remember, that's the first check mark. They got to show likelihood of success on the merits for all their arguments here, or at least some of the arguments. Judge thinks they did show that for property interest. We move on to liberty interest from the decision. The plaintiff's suspension can and will impact his career opportunities, current income from his NIL contract, and anticipated future income. In the collegiate athletic context, a suspension can significantly inhibit a student-athlete's career prospects and earning potential that cannot be recovered through any adequate remedies at law. Plaintiff has satisfied the, quote, stigma plus, end quote, test and demonstrated a likelihood of success on the claim that the university deprived him of a protected occupational liberty interest. So if you're keeping score at home, they lost the Title IX argument, but they are winning right now the liberty interest and the property interest. They're two for three. Next up is procedural fairness. This is where the U of I, in all honesty, gets roasted. More specifically, the DIA panel gets roasted. There's really no other way to put it. From the decision, plaintiff was given notice and the opportunity to submit evidence to this panel, but only in the form of a written statement and documents. He was unaware of the alleged victim's identity, and there was no indication that he was given an opportunity to view the evidence against him. In reliance on the DIA policy, the conduct panel did not investigate the alleged offense, consider a written statement by the complainant, or have the ability to weigh the credibility of evidence 
in light of the nature of allegation. Plaintiff was not allowed in the hearing, and no recording or transcript of the proceeding was provided to him. The conduct panel is not required to submit a written decision or findings of fact for plaintiff to ascertain the basis for the interim decision, and there's no avenue to appeal an interim decision. I got a few problems with the panel reading this. I understand why Josh Whitman implemented something that looks, and this is me talking, by the way, this is not Judge Lawless, okay? So maybe I need to like speak in a different accent or something to show. That's what she wrote in her decision, but here's my thought on the panel. Understanding that he is going for an independent sort of thing. Three people appointed to a panel that would you would hope have no or very little biases towards or against the athletes themselves, making a decision in the best interest of the university. Okay. I get the concept of it, but the idea that there would be any hearing where you can't be present yourself, the idea where you don't even get to speak in front of this panel, the same opportunity you would be afforded in a court of law, which essentially the panel, while not a court of law, gets to act in some of the same ways. I don't want to say I rolled my eyes at the initial press release from Terrence's attorneys when they filed the TRO that mentioned that the U of I panel was essentially acting as judge, jury, and executioner. I thought, whoa, okay, that's some strong language. But upon reading this, they kind of acted like that. This is egg on the face of Josh Whitman. And I like Josh Whitman, and I think he'll recover from this. It's not like, well, that that also depends on if Terrence would found, be found guilty. We'll get into all that, trust me. But for a law guy, a law guy, a lawyer, someone that went to law school, this seems like you should have maybe considered the fact that someday down the road, the panel would face a very big and important decision and that he didn't really dot his I's and cross his T's here in terms of implementing this policy. Terrence's lawyers... And then the judge's decision kind of showed that this panel is haphazardly planned at best. U of I, or the DIA specifically, needs to scramble here and now come up with a new policy because there's a precedent that's already been set against it. Now, Terrence has money and resources to get some of the best lawyers that money can buy. And whether these guys are doing a pro bono or doing it for on the cheap, I'm not sure because I know that some of these lawyers have U of I interests, including Steve Beckett the local guy. But this right here seems to be the crux of it. And when we get to the conclusion, you'll see that as well. The judge thought this panel was bunk and said so in so many words. Now, to continue with what the judge said, they talk about the OSCR, which is the Office of Student Conduct, something rather. But anyways, the OSCR and the DIA panel and the Court of Law. These were the three parallel tracks that Josh Whitman was talking about. The judge argues that the OSCR from at the U of I is fair because it does afford the defendant or the person that's been accused of something. It affords them many of the same rights that the court of law would. But meanwhile, the panel does not. Based on the foregoing from Judge Lawless, the plaintiff has demonstrated a likelihood of success as to the inadequate procedural safeguards afforded to him during the DIA disciplinary process. Quite simply, as the attorneys had said, judge, jury, and executioner. Dang. 
Hey, and chat feed, keep lighting it up. I will get to all those, I promise. I'm just going to, got one more, two more here. Okay, the next one that they argued in this case, irreparable harm. Here's what Judge Lawless said. Given all these circumstances, which include draft stock, NIL, exposure through playing games, it is particularly difficult to quantify plaintiffs' potential financial losses. The court finds there's some merit in plaintiffs' assertion that, absent reinstatement, the public perception may be that the university presumes the plaintiff to be guilty, or, in the very least, actually investigated, whether the allegations were substantiated before suspending him for the duration of the season. More importantly, the plaintiff will not have an adequate remedy at law if, for argument purposes only, the pending criminal charges are dismissed or he's acquitted on said charges after the conclusion of the basketball season and NBA draft. Therefore, the court finds the plaintiff has demonstrated that he has an inadequate legal remedies and will suffer irreparable harm. In this section of the TRO, Judge Lawless directly addresses the financial loss and the lost career opportunities and all that directly and mentions, as she will in the conclusion, it is impossible to quantify how much money he would continue to lose if not reinstated to the team. I thought that was really interesting because I didn't know if they were going to go that direction. We're, we're kind of in a new era where college student-athletes and their ability to be compensated for what they do that is rather quickly becoming the accepted narrative. That's the right thing to do. They should be compensated for this, right? Whereas 10 years ago, I don't know if we would have seen the same argument presented or the same conclusion reached by a judge in any case like this. Last one, balance of harms. So the judge had said in the beginning, you consider all these things, and then if there is any likelihood on the success of the merits, meaning if the lawyers for Terrence Shannon, at least some of their arguments have uh, success on the merits or likelihood of success. Then the next step is you consider the balance of harms between Terrence Shannon Jr. and the University of Illinois. Who gets harmed the most by this decision? Or if they reverse the decision, does that balance of harm flip the other way? Here's what Judge Lawless said. The court does not agree to the harm that the plaintiff in the amps. Okay, sorry. They're arguing right here that if they lift the suspension, the U of I argued that um, it would merely be speculative to try to guess how much money Terrence Shannon Jr. would be losing. U of I lawyers were saying, you don't know how much money he's losing. So his, his you know, Terrence's lawyers, they can argue that, but now you don't know if it's $1,000, you don't know if it's 100000 it, The U of I, I think, essentially was saying if he's found innocent, he'll be fine. But our decision as a university is to uphold the suspension. So that was my ham-fisted way. Back to Judge Lawless. The court does not agree that the harm to plaintiff in the absence of an injunction is speculative. While it may be difficult to quantify financially the, the potential loss of plaintiff's NBA career, NIL deal, and ability to support his family are more than speculative harms. Plaintiff alleges an injunction would eliminate the appearance of guilt and restore the presumption of innocence and status quo pending resolution of the criminal proceeding. While the court recognizes the strong interest the university has in acting pursuant to its policies, the court concludes that the irreparable harm to plaintiff by application of the DIA policy outweighs the harm to Illinois. Essentially, the balance of harm is much more firmly against Terrence Shannon Jr., is what Judge Lawless is saying here. 
he's getting harmed in a way that the university would not even approach if this decision were to get reversed. All right, conclusion. And then we're done with this legal mumbo jumbo. But I wanted to do this just so, one, I can make sense of it for myself. And hopefully by just kind of taking the big parts of this, saving you the hassle of reading a 38-page document. Though I will say it is double-spaced, so it's more like a 20-page document. I always did that trick when I write uh, papers is I always write single space first. And then at the very end, I do double space and voila, it's double the length. Conclusion from Judge Lawless. For the reasons stated herein, plaintiff has not shown a likelihood of success on his Title IX claim and is therefore not entitled to equitable, equitable relief. So Judge Lawless says Title IX, no, doesn't apply here. As to the other counts, the plaintiff has established that he clearly has ascertainable rights that need protection, and there is some likelihood of success on the merits. The court further finds that the plaintiff has no adequate remedy at law and will suffer irreparable harm without an injunction. The potential harm to the plaintiff outweighs any harm to the university. The public interest is not harmed by granting injunctive relief to allow for additional procedural safeguards while he is presumed innocent of the criminal charges. Therefore, Plaintiff Terrence Shannon Jr.'s verified motion for a preliminary injunction is granted. And there it is. Suspension is lifted. I need to find the statement from Robin Kaler at the U of I, which was so succinct that I thought it was very telling. Let me see here. Sorry, I got to go back to Twitter and the things I've reposted from yesterday. Um, I got to say that Jeremy Warner and the Alana Enquirer staff, great job. News Gazette, great job. I thought that Lon and Derek did a really good job having that news break right before their radio show yesterday. And, you know, if I, if I were to say it's an issue that you tiptoe around, I don't mean that in some sort of negative way because there's the word is rape. That's a big word. That's a word that is nuclear. And it should be. So when we are talking about something that we still, right now, don't know exactly what happened in Lawrence, you have to treat it with some weight and gravity, as opposed to, hey, 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 Terrence is back. We're going to talk about the balance that we as fans might have to kind of, the balancing act that we're going to have to do ourselves. All right, this is the statement from Robin Kaler. I want to make sure I get the whole thing here, though it's not very long. Uh, We have received the court's order. Effective immediately, Terrence Shannon Jr. has been reinstated to full status as a university student-athlete and will be available for basketball practice and competition. We will continue to review the court order and monitor the case. We will continue. So nothing about we're going to appeal this decision to the, what is it, circuit court in Chicago, because this was a district court, I believe, in Springfield. Nothing about that. Okay. I want to hit the chat window here. Or give you guys a second, but I I will say in in conclusion of the legal stuff, which again, I'm not great at, clearly. To me, what I parsed from this decision and the way that it was written by Judge Lawless, the big loser here is the DIA panel and the DIA policy, which was enacted eight years ago by Josh Whitman. If I'm Josh Whitman, (laughs) I don't know how I feel today. Talk about a weird circumstance where on one hand, while he can't say this in public and would not say this in public, I don't think, 
His money-making basketball program just got an All-American back. Let's not kid ourselves. That is something that if you're an athletic director and your reputation and, and your standing amongst the fans and the university you work for is contingent on the on-court and on-field success. Yeah, well, that just went up considerably. And you have a team that probably can make a deep run now. They're, they're kind of scary now that Terrence is back. and we'll, we'll talk about that from a basketball perspective. But then from a personal perspective, since you were the one that came in and instituted this thing, which I don't disagree with. I mean, it's one of those things that you can't probably foresee a case like this. And I also need to make note that parsing through what Judge Lawless said, I don't think that an athlete not of Terrence's stature wins this case because they would not have been able to make the same arguments about financial loss, irreparable harm. It wouldn't have worked for Dane Danger, I don't think. This worked for Terrence Shannon Jr. So maybe pre-NIL and all of that, this was something that Josh Whitman could not have foreseen. And I don't want to hold his feet to the fire for this, but I do wonder if there's any fallout for enacting this policy and then having a federal judge basically spit on it. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but it does seem like the judge had a major problem with that. It was addressed pretty directly in that decision. In closing, as far as the legal stuff goes, that's a federal judge making a decision. Now, that does not mean that I get to, as a fan, completely absolve myself of, well, that means Terrence is innocent. These two things we hold in separate hands, right? What we have to accept to a degree is that a federal judge looked at this case and said, hey, his legal proceedings will play out, but in the meantime, he should continue to be able to play. And that part of it, I will accept. And I'm not, that's not me saying, hey, aren't I brave? I'm accepting a, a federal judge decision. Or, wow, Carp is an Illini fan. How brave of you to accept the decision that brings Terrence Shannon Jr. back? I'm not meaning that at all. It's just that I'm not going to do any moral wrangling with this particular decision. That's a federal judge looking at it, this case, which is not about Terrence being innocent or guilty, but while he is going through due process through the Lawrence courts and all of that, that he should not be punished in the interim, essentially. And if you ask me, well, do you do agree or disagree with that? I, I kind of agree with that. I kind of do. And I say that not knowing if he's innocent or guilty. There's a, there's a chance that he didn't do a damn thing. There's a chance that he did something terrible. And we will find out someday and sometime in this year of 2024. We'll probably find that out. But at the same time, if we're talking due process, I, I kind of just agree with the sentiment that, yeah, he should be able to play. You know, let's get to the fan reckoning part of this. And then I'm going to get to these chat window things too, which I think are mostly about that. I was messaging with someone last night who understandably feels a bit of a moral dilemma about, okay, if I go to State Farm Center and anyone that's there tomorrow and I'll be there for the Rutgers game, that place will likely explode when Terrence gets his first dunk. And you know what's going to happen. It will explode. It will be electric. Now, if someone feels icky about that, 
I understand. Because <laughs> we're rooting for these guys. We're rooting for these 18 to 22, 23-year-olds. And for a lot of alums, I mean, they represent our university. We're kind of hitching our wagon to some uncertainty here, right? And what I said to this person through message was, I get it and I, I understand that completely because I'll be reckoning with some of those things myself tomorrow. But then I take a step back and I think about sports fandom the way that I think about the way that I love certain bands or the way that I love certain movies and actors and entertainment industry people, right? The same way we root for sports isn't all that dissimilar from being fans of a band. And I don't know if this metaphor quite works, the idea of you separate the art from the artist. I don't know if that quite works for sports or if it really even works anyway. But behind me, I got this Led Zeppelin flag for those that watch the YouTube stream. Led Zeppelin's the reason I'm a musician. They got me into rock music at a very young age. I have two tattoos on my body of Led Zeppelin. So clearly they're very important to me. In the 70s, Jimmy Page, 26 years old, dated Lori Maddox, 14. A little icky, right? And even if you say it was a different time and a different place, I'm at least going to grant you the ickiness part. And if you say, well, that's kind of sexual grooming or sexual abuse, I don't think I'd be able to say, no, it's not. I'd have to say, yeah, you might have a point there. John Lennon, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Another reason why I'm into music the way I am. Beat his first wife regularly. He eventually apologized for it. He was reflective about it, about how abusive he was. But nonetheless, he was an abusive individual, physically abusive. I still listen to the Beatles a lot. I love John Lennon. I love the Beatles. I know for a fact, well, I don't know for a fact, but I think we can speculate that when it comes to watching sports, how many people have you rooted for that have done some terrible things we don't even know about. I, I don't know if this is me trying to take the weight off of Lana fan's shoulders and say, you know what, just go, go root for the team. But in a way, it kind of is because as sports fans or as music fans or as movie fans or fans of anything, we don't know the full story of the people that we are rooting for, the people that we put our vested interest in. And if we started to judicate all of the personal lives of the people that we support in any of those fashions. We're going to be spending hours and hours and hours trying to figure out, well, are they a good person? Are they a good person? When in actuality, we will never know for sure. So with the Terrence Shannon Jr. case, when I go tomorrow, he's on my favorite basketball team. They're a really good basketball team. I'm a University of Illinois graduate and finishing up my master's there. I got a lot of ties with this community and with this school. I personally am not going to treat this as some sort of protest. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cheer. And I'm not, I don't think, going to do the full-throated thing right away because there is the obvious weirdness of the situation. There is going to be a weird buzz. Part of me wanting to go tomorrow is to see what is the atmosphere like, especially before the game, the nervous energy in that building? You're going to be seeing Terrence Shannon Jr. in the layup lines and shooting threes. You're going to be seeing him warm up. Starting lineups are going to hit, and you're going to wonder, is he starting or is Luke Goody still starting? If he is starting and gets his name announced, how is the crowd going to react? If he comes in 
after the starting lineups and he goes to the scorer's table, how's the crowd going to react when they see him walk up there to check in? The nervous energy and seeing how this all reacts, and I think we probably know how the crowd's, it's going to be full-throated, right? I don't know if right away I'm going to be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this has been a weird three weeks, and that is an understatement. But at the same time, what the hell? I, I'm i not the judge, jury, and executioner, just as the DIA panel is not. He will get his day in court. And if we want to be honest about this too, and the judge mentions this in the decision, which I thought was of note, as of now, and we will find out more if there's discovery of evidence on what, February 23rd. We might very well find out more. But at the moment, Terrence and his attorneys have seen no physical evidence, no video surveillance evidence. We know for a fact that people that were with him weren't interviewed until after the charges were filed. If you want to tell me that that's not murky, I'd say, no, let's be honest. That's a little murky in and of itself. So if we want to presume, even if there was a mountain of evidence early, and you want to try to pretzel logic yourself into thinking innocent until proven guilty, some people have done that, like OJ. (laughs) If you thought you want to give him presumption of innocence, we all knew. Of course, there were all the social ramifications of that case, but everybody knew, right? Everybody knew. That's the court of public opinion saying, come on, give me a break. But then every case is an individual thing. And if you want to tell me that so far the things that have been presented through affidavits and then in this TRO, which kind of reinforced that, and you want to tell me that there's not some gray areas to the prosecution's case against Terrence Shannon Jr., I'm going to ask you, what were you reading? Until we get more evidence, which we might, the evidence presented so far, while it does not exonerate Terrence of anything, and yeah, there's an icky factor from what is stated there. If I'm a juror and that's what's being presented to me and there's reasonable doubt, are you kidding me? There's reasonable doubt from what we have so far. And that's not the Alani fan talking. If you think it is, Good on you. I would understand it. That would be a fair criticism to make. But from what is presented so far, I can't make that leap. The same way that I can make that leap when information came out about Kendrick Nunn. And I said, that is some really atrocious behavior. I don't want him on my team. When the news came out that Terrence was charged with this, sick to my stomach, I'm like, I, be gone. Dude, seriously. But through the things that have been filed and, and released to the public and what we know, and we can certainly argue if it's fair or not that these publics have got these files have gotten as public as they have. I think that's a fair argument because there is an accuser. There is a potential victim in all this. And while their name isn't getting drugged through the mud, this case is out there. And if something happened, that is, to say the least, unfortunate and not fair to them. But you kind of got to go with what you know so far. And if the judge makes reference of this in the decision, I'm thinking, okay. All right. I want to go to the chat window here. And we got a nice little crew here joining us on a Saturday morning. Hey, take that, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Just kidding. I saw Lauren Tate at the Maryland game. I should have said hello because the guy is an absolute legend. But um, 
Thank you guys for joining me on what was kind of an impromptu podcast. All right, let's see here. From fan 217 opposing fans on the road are going to be ruthless. I hope he's ready for that. Yeah, it's going to happen, fan 217 Are they going to be able to sustain it for 40 minutes a game? I don't know. I have a friend of mine in our group chat thread who was a Michigan State alum, and he mentioned that, and I said, you know, hey, I'll be East Lansing, and I could throw out a Larry Nasser chant or something, which those are apples and oranges, but... I had made the point on an earlier podcast that, yes, if he were to come back, he's going to get an earful. And that's just what's going to happen. I also think that for a lot of these fan bases, they each, I mean, go down the list, many have skeletons in their closet from the past. Whether it be a, a player that did something terrible or an institutional thing like Michigan State or Penn State where I'm like, what? You got room to talk? I'm here to watch a basketball game. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I'm I'm going to be wearing orange or blue or both at East Lansing. And I will probably hear something or another about Terrence Shannon Jr. I don't know. I mean, that, that's that comes to the territory. I don't think that's going to... <laughs> I don't think Terrence or the team is going to huddle up and say, oh, God, they're so mean. No, they're, they're competitors. And if anything... There is a tunnel vision thing that I would assume happens on the court for these guys. It's like if you get called this, that, or the other enough times, eventually you just kind of stop hearing it. So, yeah, he's going to hear it, no doubt. From Alani Brickroll, I'm curious about the cascading effects in the NCAA. I want to get some coffee there, Alani Brickroll. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I am curious about that too, and this will be on a case-by-case basis, but if you want to chalk this up to another win for student athletes in the NIL era, I, I think that's probably fair. It is granting them <clears throat> a court precedent that some of them might be able to use in future cases. Anthony, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. And you mentioned, has there been a lot of negativity? I expected to see more. I'm trying to ask myself the same thing, Anthony, because we are in the Illini bubble. But... I, you know, we follow national reporters on Twitter, on Facebook, wh- whatever platforms you use. We follow national college basketball people. There's a college basketball subreddit, and I go to that a lot. And it's kind of fun to read, like after the Illini Michigan game in the game thread, read the Michigan fan comments. So I will be honest, Anthony, from what I've seen, and I can't pretend to know the full court of public opinion here. I felt like last year what was going on with Alabama got a ton more press. Granted, Alabama kept playing the guy whose name escapes me right now. They kept playing him despite the fact that Miller, his last name, I think, right? They kept playing him despite the fact that he was purported to be the driver and the gun giver guy to a murderer. Whoops. He kept playing. That got a lot of flack because he kept playing. Now, with Terrence coming back, we might see that negative negativity swell up. It's been quiet because what did the university do? They immediately suspended him. And if you ask me, do you agree with that initial decision? I do. What else do you do? I mean, he got charged with rape. What are you, you going to do? You got to charge him or you got to suspend him. Can't just let him keep playing. But at the same time, This is the legal system. I I don't know. It's imperfect, but if they win a case in front of a federal judge that says the DIA's 
process was flawed, then I, I'll accept that. And then we'll see if the general public does as well. Yes, he's going to hear it. He's going to hear it big time up at Northwestern. I mean, dear God. But keep in mind, that's going to be like a half and half environment. And we'll just see going forward. Yep, there'll be cat calls and all that kind of stuff. And that's just what's going to happen. But I don't at the moment, Anthony, feel the sort of groundswell that we necessarily saw against Alabama last year. All right, continuing here. This is Joseph. I feel bad for the other guys on the team that will have to deal with all the negativity of the opposing fan bases. I was talking with my dad and mentioned maybe they go the Michigan football route, us against the world. I'm glad you mentioned this, Joseph, because this is one thing that I hope publicly they don't do. I hope they don't say in press conferences or post-game hits with sideline reporters, hey, you know, no one believed in us. Or I, I hope they don't go the victim route because there's a chance that there's a, an actual real victim out there. People would argue, well, Carp, there's a chance that Terrence was kind of the victim of a shoddy case, and, and that might be true. I don't know. We're going to have to find out about that. I don't want them personally to go the route of victimhood. It's been a weird three weeks for sure. He's back on the team. I would, I hope as an alum and a fan that when it comes to how they work through this, it is just, we're all about business. We're here to play basketball and they can say we support our teammate and all that. And they probably will. I, I hope they don't veer into the sort of thing we saw with Michigan football, which stealing signs as bad as that is, is not as bad as rape. It's not. So I wonder how Underwood will address that with the team. Internally, they can be as happy and excited as they want. On the court, I think they're old enough to just play the game. Off the court, when they're talking to the press or they're tweeting things, I hope they avoid the us against the world thing because I don't think this is an apt situation for that. All right, let's see here. Good morning, Whipple. Good to see you again. Alana Brickle mentions how it's interesting that this is probably a common setup in many athletic departments. And if we talk about ramifications, Brickle, to this whole thing, I think it's many athletic departments are now scrambling this morning and we're having some meetings on Monday when they get back for the weekend, from the weekend saying, um, is, our, is our policy up to snuff? I'm sure there'll be many of those. This is from On The Mark. NIL saved TSJ, both with projected earnings and potentially the ability to hire good lawyers. 100%. 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, I don't think he wins this. From Whipple, opposing fans are always ruthless. These guys relish playing on the road and probably will be even tougher now. If we're just talking the on the court effect, I agree with that. I think rightly or wrongly, or not either, maybe neutral, this is a galvanizing thing for this team. As I mentioned, I don't want them to project the us against the world victim kind of thing, right? I don't want that projected, but I would imagine that's going to be under the surface here as they play the rest of this year. From Darren, I think Whitman is thrilled and wouldn't be surprised if he helped facilitate the TRO, best case scenario for him. Well, let's talk best case scenario because there's the idea that the U of I would somehow be liable if Terrence were to be found guilty. No, they won't. How? A federal judge said, play him. Lift the suspension. Okay, thanks, Judge Lawless. That's it. It's out of their hands. 
that's probably why you don't see them fighting it. It's why I'm not concerned as a university alum or fan of their sports teams. I'm not concerned with blowback to the university itself if he's found guilty. And that also goes for Whitman or Underwood. A federal judge said lift the suspension. What are they going to do? Not play him? I saw people throwing this out yesterday. Are you stupid? They're going to play him. First off, that's naive as hell. The idea that an All-American would be, have their suspension lifted by a federal judge, and then he comes back to practice, he say, sorry, Terrence, but for my own personal morals and my uncertainty about the situation, I'm not playing you. Give me a break. What world are you living in? I saw a few people, a few smart people tweeting that, and I'm like, take five extra seconds and think about this. They're playing Terrence. They will play him. One, they kind of have to. Why do they have to? Because how do you explain not playing him after a judge makes a decision like that? How do you explain that? There might be something to this that Whitman is thrilled. Darren, there might be something to that. And I don't think that the university is liable anymore. I think it's out of their hands. They're going to go back and they're going to redraw their panel policy, I'm sure, because they have to. Just got egg on their face with that, but... Whitman would never admit that this worked out okay, but in some ways it might have for him. And if he's got to sacrifice a little egg on the face for this result, again, he would never admit that, but there might be something to it. From Brad P. Hey, Brad, good to see you. Let's be honest. If TSJ plays and is found guilty, everyone will forget about it in five years. If he's suspended and found innocent, fans will never let the university live this down. I would agree with that. And I now I do think, Brad, there would be some major public blowback if he's found guilty. And I would I would say that's warranted if he's found guilty. But on your second point, yeah, if he's suspended for the rest of the season and found innocent of this thing, oh man. The the internal Tension, And by internal, I mean the U of I and its fans, not the general public. That would be rough to recover from. From Anthony, I'm more concerned on the fallout too. Is TSJ being treated differently because of the money? What if he was a gymnast or wrestler? <clears throat> I feel this is Rocky Road to travel. Anthony, he doesn't win this if he's a walk-on. Well, I guess that he wouldn't have a scholarship if he was a walk-on. He would not win this if he was a bench warmer. He wouldn't, quite simply. So this precedent that's being set will not apply to all athletes. It will apply to the elite athletes that have a lot of money and a lot of money to lose, potentially. I'm going to get some coffee here. Sorry, everybody. And thank you all for joining me on this morning. Um, For those that are, if it's your first time, if you can like the video or subscribe. I don't do a good job like Jeremy does with the Illini Inquirer stuff. If you could subscribe to us, that helps as well. Okay, this is from Bobo. Hell, the case could be thrown out by the judge in February for all we know. Well, it's February 23rd. I I mentioned earlier, the evidence we have, or more specifically the evidence we don't have, is why right now this case, if you were to try in front of a jury, I think it is fair to say there is more than a reasonable doubt. Because most of what is known is based on the accuser's testimony. There is a lack of physical evidence that we know of. There is a lack of video surveillance evidence, according to Terrence's attorneys, 
which was referenced in this decision. And I don't know about the DNA stuff yet. If there is any DNA, you think that would be kind of, if not open shut, it would be pretty important to something like this. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I Right now, this case would not win in court. I, I, I just, I don't see how it could. So there is a chance that on February 23rd, Bobo, all of a sudden there's a deluge of evidence at discovery. But for some reason, I thought early on in this that the defendant and his attorneys, his or her attorneys, get the evidence against them pretty early on. But maybe not. So that's why there's still more to potentially be seen. From Brizzle, it's possible Underwood is told to keep him on the bench. I, I don't see how that can work. What do you, you know, how's that going to work? And Underwood, and I will say, you know who's coming out okay in this? Uh, Underwood is relatively scot-free. Champagne Showers did a great job of scouring a FOIA drop from the university. And the one name that I thought is completely like, comes off scot-free in this whole thing is Underwood. Whitman's DIA panel, or in the policies that he's instituted, major points to him for one thing in particular. It is keeping the coaches out of the mess. I think he learned from John Gross and John Gross's really inability to navigate that. Think about that year and a half where it was Kendrick Nunn, Darius Paul, Leron Black, Jalen Tate. And it felt like John Gross had kind of lost control of the program. This panel, so far, is keeping Underwood looking really good. <clears throat> or at least taking it out of his hands. I mean, there's cell phone records where Underwood is essentially reporting everything that he knows and he has people that he can delegate to to deal with the policy. It's basically, coach, you coach. We'll deal with the discipline. I kind of like that. And I bet Underwood likes that too. This is from Alani Brickroll. We probably won't hear TSJ speak for the rest of the season. And he shouldn't. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see Brickroll, the press availability. If he has a big game, does he go to the press conference? Does the university or does you know Brad Underwood or Terrence himself say, hey, everybody just let you know, I'm happy to talk about the game, but I cannot discuss my ongoing legal situation. And there might be justification for that. I mean, he might be able to legitimately say, this is an ongoing case. I, I truly cannot talk about it. And I don't know if the local media is going to continue to press him on it. And honestly, if he says he's not going to talk about it, what would you hope to glean from repeated questions? I I think you just go normal, Brick Girl. And here's what I mean by normal. I think the press availability, pretty much normal. I think starting lineups and the videos before the game, are you going to see Terrence in those clips again? Yeah. I, I, I think you just basically operate as you were before. And, of course, that blows up in your face if he's guilty, as many things blow up in your face if he's guilty. But if you look like you're tiptoeing around too much, even though a suspension has been lifted, that doesn't look good on you. Now, the one thing I think may be treated differently are social media posts. So let's say Terrence is a game winner. I don't know. The post-game celebrations. Are the videos in the post-game locker rooms going to focus more on the team as a whole than like Underwood and Terrence together? 
is Josh Whitman going to hug Terrence Shannon Jr. like he likes to hug many of his athletes? I, yes, though, those are considerations, but I do think in the overall game day presentation, I think in the press availability, I think it's back to normal. And I do think that the press will ask questions, knowing Jeremy like I have for many years. If he's told, don't ask questions about the case, I think he'll hold to that, but still ask questions about the impact those three weeks had on Terrence and the team. You kind of have to, right? It would be foolish and just like, you know, it, it is okay to ask the team, how do these three weeks affect you? I don't think that's insensitive. And I think it's appropriate to ask. All right, sorry, I need to get some water here. I'm, I usually don't do the early morning podcast. From Anthony, I feel this blows out the charade about college sports. I thought the student athletes are there to get an education, not make money, and be a waiting room for professional sports. Anthony, in that way, I kind of appreciate the decisions verbiage or verbiage, whichever, because it does sort of do away with the charade. We've known it's a charade for a long time. We've known for years that these revenue sport athletes specifically that generate tons of money should be making money. D Brown should have been a millionaire out the door. He wasn't. If he was an NIL guy right now, are you kidding me with the amount of money he would make and deservedly so. So yes, Anthony, I like blow the charade out. It's not, it's not college sports. They're, they are pseudo professional sports where the jersey and the names on the jersey represent a university. They are not, the idea of a traditional student athlete is being chipped away at, especially with revenue sports, especially in the Power Five or the, or the Big Two, if you want to be honest about the Big Ten and the SEC. And I would prefer to be authentic when we discuss sports, and that decision seemed to kind of go that direction. From Kenton, good point regarding art versus artist. We're fans. That's our stake in this whole thing. Bottom line, given his current state affairs, do we want Terrence on the team or not? Seems most of us say yes. That seems to be the consensus. If fans are leery about that or if they don't want him on the team, I'm not going to say that they're wrong for that at all because remember what the charge is. It's you know, like, oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, it's a pretty big charge, right? It's, it's a nuclear word that deserves to be taken with the utmost seriousness, with the utmost gravity. Oh, from Brad P. Did you see the comments from DGL's mom? Listen, this was going around the internet yesterday. Drake Gibbs Lawhorn's mom on Facebook kind of had a rant because Dre did not play against Michigan. From what I understand, she's very vocal. Um, I don't know. I don't want to comment on a player's parent, but she seems a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's the judicious way I'll say it. What can you do if you're a college kid and your parent is just acting a fool on social media? Mom, quit it. Listen, parents are going to be parents. I would assume any player that has to deal with that just shakes their head and says, that's just mom being mom. What, what do you do? But man, the screenshot I saw from that, I mean, there was one day where she said she wants Illinois to lose every other game. And it's like, oh my God. Listen, as someone that's probably her age, when I see adults acting like children, especially as a teacher. I want adults to just hold themselves to higher standards than acting like an immature baby. So yeah, there's part of me that's like, oh, shut up. Go away. But 
it's a free country, whatever. There's you got to find the comedy in it because there is pure comedy in her whole shtick. I will say that. Alani Brickroll mentions it is very icky and weird. I see both sides of this, but I want to respect the process, which says he should be allowed to play right now. It it is icky and it's weird. That full stop. It just is. And that's why tomorrow is going to be really interesting atmosphere in there. All right, let's see here. From Anthony, I, I do appreciate the Illini reflection since I don't think this isn't happening at unscrupulous Big Ten schools. You know who. From Brizzle, it's very possible it gets fe- dropped in February from what I've read. I, I don't know about how easily cases can get dropped. If it got this far, can you just drop it? I'm not sure. But short of more evidence coming out, and then might, what we know about the case does not at all seem open and shut. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kenton, who, full disclosure, good friend, went to the game with him against Maryland, said, hey, I said hello to Lauren. He was just getting his steps in. Go, Lauren. Legend. And still a good rider and still a good radio guy. He's He's got it. And by the way, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll wrap up here with the chat thread. But um, again, if you could subscribe or like the video, that's much appreciated. From Eris, 262. He's going to get booed, and he knows it. If he's innocent, he's not going to let it bother him and maybe even feed off of it. That's my prediction anyway. I'd think so. You know, if he is innocent of this, then you, as a competitor, probably try to channel anything, and this would be one thing you could channel. Again, don't say in a press conference anything along the lines of I'm a victim. The same goes for his teammates, but I'm sure that that is how he will feed off of that. From Justin, what's up, Carp? And Justin's last name is Carpenter as well. Maybe long-lost cousins. Who knows? What's up, Carp? Was surprised by the outcome of the TRO. I was shocked, Justin. Excited, but tempering my expectations on how quickly he will be inserted back in the rotation and how him being back will affect the flow. Let's talk about that on the court. I'm actually encouraged at the fact that three weeks without Terrence Shannon allowed a guy like, let's say, Ty Rogers to become more of a focal point of this team. Ty is figuring out his game. The Purdue game was a blip on the radar, and he had a bad shooting game against Maryland. But Ty is figuring out his role and becoming very good at it. And he has more favorable matchups, it seems, than unfavorable. That's one example of someone that's improved over the last three weeks because of this. I think that what it ultimately will help is Marcus Damask more than anybody. Because Damask, in some of these games, including parts of the Michigan game, and he still got his 15, right? But there were times where it felt a little more labored than before. I think this is going to help the team immensely. I I do not worry about the flow part of it so much because I think there was so much synergy going anyway. They haven't felt like that different of a team in the last three weeks, if you think about it. When they've been at their peak against Northwestern and the second half against Michigan, that looked very much like the Illinois team with Terrence throughout December. So this is one of those situations where unlike, let's say, the Ray Rice coming back, and I don't know if you remember that, he comes back from a broken wrist or a broken hand. It was an overtime game against Michigan at home. It was the last game in Old Assembly Hall or Old State Farm Center. It was still Assembly Hall, sorry, before the renovation. And he was more of a defender that game. You had to kind of work him back into the rotation. This, I don't worry so much about that. From Anthony. Coleman Hawkins seems to be the easy, easy villain to opposing teams, so that might take some heat off TSJ. Maybe uh, it's a different kind of heat. You know, Coleman's the easy guy to hate because he's got such a distinct look and he's demonstrative and he even drove us nuts. 
for a bit, right? He drove all of us a little nuts at certain points, but he's not right now because he's off the charts good on the court. Yeah, he'll get joshed, and Coleman embraces that, but the vitriol directed at Terrence will be of a different nature. It just, I think, inevitably, based on the seriousness of the, the charge, he's going to hear it. He's going to hear some stuff. All right. When I brick girl, they have to play them. Somewhere it talks in there about not playing him, being a de facto suspension, and Illinois would be back in court. Interesting. Wouldn't that be a court case? A coach deciding not. Someday will we get, would, will Dre Gibbs Lawhorn's mom go to court? I'm not even kidding. Could she go to court for her son and say his NIL opportunities are being severely hampered by not getting played? I bet she's going to call Konoski and Associates today and figure that out. Can I take Brad Underwood to court for not playing my son? I kind of want to see that play out. I mean, just for the, the comedy of it. But you know what? Maybe not comedy at all. This, the ramifications of this brick roll, and I know you mentioned this earlier, this decision mentions lost financial opportunities time and time again. So if you're a player in a revenue sport for any team that has an NIL fund, if you're someone that got listed on one mock draft, do you have precedent now? Maybe. All right. Let's see here from Mark. Whitman and company overstepped. They can't acknowledge his presumption of innocence, then suspend him. If he's found guilty, his current employer should do the punishment, not preemptive. That essentially seems to be what the decision said there. Good to see you again, Mark. As Kenton says here, benching him makes a statement. Playing him does not. Pretty much. And let's see. From Alana Brickwell, they did a formal request last week, maybe, but the police department has until the 30th or 31st to send it. I'm assuming, Brickwell, you're talking about more evidence. From Anthony on playing him, so a judge is making coaching decisions for Underwood. I mean, Underwood's going to play him regardless, but what kind of precedence does that show? Yeah, I don't know, Anthony. This is where uh, each case, it seems like what limited knowledge I have of the legal system, cases build upon each other. Precedents are set, then another precedent set. You take them all in its totality when you make your arguments. Okay, let's see here. Got a few more. Um, I, I really appreciate all the chat thread and, and the fact you all came out on this Saturday morning. From Jared, are they going to show the older pregame video with Terrence? I'm actually really curious. No, I, I wonder that too. I'm curious about a lot of those little details tomorrow. Do you show anyone in Terrence Shannon jersey? And they avoided that at the last game against Maryland, or the Michigan State game actually, sorry. Someone had a cardboard sign that said free TSJ, and I have never seen a camera whoosh, Swipe away quicker than that. Uh, Anthony, I wonder what, quote, guilty looks like. Is it just the rape charge? What if he gets sexual misconduct? That is interesting. There is the secondary charge or the alternative charge of sexual battery. Which, again, even with what we know, I don't think you could charge him at the moment based on that. But that's one of those gray areas, and there's many of those, right, Anthony? I... I, I wish I had a better, oh, well, if it's the sexual battery charge, then this is how people react. As with this whole thing from the start, it is sort of as things unfold, how do we react to it? And I don't think there's much more we can do in discussing it. From Lanai Brickroll, curious what will be said during media availability today. That's right. I think they do. They are available. They always do a day before thing at the oven. And from Eris. 
We have now seen what Harmon can do, and I think he'll get more playing time as well. Honestly, I think Underwood now realizes he has more weapons now with TSJ back than he did before the season began. Let's end with this. We're, we're a sports podcast from a sports perspective, from a basketball perspective. This team is scary good with Terrence. They are scary good. They are Final Four good with Terrence. And I say that based on a few things. One, college basketball landscape this year tells me they got a shot. Other than Purdue, and I know Purdue's lost two road games where you say, Purdue, what are you doing? Purdue is insanely good. They are insanely good. And you got the Houstons of the world. You got other teams that are really, really good. But I tell you what, that list of A-plus tier teams is very short. The list after that, a mix of the Tennessees and the Illinois of the world, the Dukes of the world, the North Carolinas of the world, depending on matchups, any of those teams can make a run. This team is one of those. And in this college basketball season, especially so. Secondly, when we were talking about the flow of the team and three weeks gone and now he's back, it's not February yet. It's January 20th. He will be back on January 21st. We're two months away from the NCAA tournament from when he comes back. And what is it? 14 more regular season games in the Big Ten tournament as well. Did I get that count right? I think so. So all that in mind, to see the individuals like a Harmon and a Ty Rogers improve and to see Marcus Damask still have the ability, even without Terrence, to occasionally get the 29-point game. You know, like Coleman playing better than he ever has. I don't think those things go away just because Terrence comes back. This team with Terrence, in short, is scary good on the basketball court. You'll see that, I think, tomorrow. I do not worry about any Maryland letdown. I don't. I, If anything, I think there's going to be just an extra pep in their stepper, whatever you want to call it. And that environment is going to be something to see. And I'm not going to say that there's not going to be moral dilemmas that certain fans will be feeling. And those are justified. I'm not going to tell you how to fan. I never have. I never will. Unlike some other Illini talking heads. Fan how you want to fan. The only thing I would, I guess, caution against is turning any of this into a sort of victim complex in the way that Michigan football fans did with their thing. Or Michigan football players especially, and then it trickled down the fan base. I don't want us to adopt that because I don't think that's the takeaway here. We might find out down the road that Terrence was wrongfully accused, full stop. I don't know if that's going to be the case, though. Something probably happened at this bar, whether it was consensual or not, whether it was as bad as the charges indicate or not even close. But while these three weeks would have been objectively tough for someone accused of these crimes and charged with these crimes, even with that, I don't want to see this basketball team or this fan base adopt any sort of victim mentality. He won the TRO. He's back. Let's play the games. And for me, I'm just going to root for the team that's in front of me. And am I going to feel guilty or bad about it? I don't know about that. I don't think there's really much point in doing that. But I also want to be cognizant and be aware that this is a weird situation. 
and also think to myself, if I'm talking to a fan of an opposing team and they ask me, so, I mean, how do you root for that? I kind of want to have an answer for them. So I, I think if anything, as I mentioned before, I'm not going to tell anyone how to fan because that's not my role to do that. But my, <laughs> my considerations are, one, not treating this like we're victims, and two, reflecting on it as a fan to figure out, okay, why am I comfortable rooting for them? And if someone were to ask me, how can I justify it? And that's all. I don't know if I need to go any more steps than that or if you do either. But, oh no, sorry. Did the intro music come back? Sorry, everybody. Yeah, it looks like I went, I went longer than the Michigan podcast. Okay. So you guys would have heard that through the YouTube feed. Um, but anyways, I'm going to close the podcast out. I thank you all for joining me for what is a longer podcast and for all the chat, um, the chat stuff that you all threw in here. And, oh, On The Mark says, good job going through this. My last 200-level contribution was the title for when the levee breaks after the, Minis- after the Minnesota blowout. Was that the COVID year, Mark, where Minnesota came in here and smoked us? Or maybe, I forget, but yeah. Well, Mark, great to see you again. And Lani Brick Girl, I, I appreciate these all these comments. And... I'm not going to be perfect through this. If I said or did anything in these three weeks, which came off as either insensitive or I I would fully accept that I have and will not be perfect in a situation like this. And I don't know anyone that has been Um, from the start of the allegations and the charges. And as the information has come out, I've tried to give appropriate weight and respect to, well, what if he is guilty? And the fact that there might be a victim, a true victim out there in all this. But I can regurgitate that over and over. I feel like that's kind of a given, right? I think that any reasonable person would understand the seriousness of that. Going forward, we're, we're a sports podcast. And we got a game tomorrow. I'm going to be there, so we won't do a second half pod. Not sure if I'll do a Sunday evening or maybe just wait until Monday to react to the game and the experience at State Farm Center. I mean, Jeremy and Derek do such a great post-game pod anyway, so we'll probably wait until Monday. But going forward, this will be basically a sports podcast. And I think that that's that. I mean, Terrence is back. Hey, from just a straight-up like big story perspective, I don't remember covering one like this. And I hope to not have to cover this as a fan or as a podcaster again because of just, I mean, come on, the charges levied against him are really big, right? I hope that the players I root for are ultimately good people, but I can't guarantee that. So as we continue to root for Illini sports, basketball, football, you name it, you know, there's just always that element and we'll be navigating it and everyone's just doing the best they can. Not not my most eloquent into a podcast, but I really do appreciate you guys tuning in and sticking around for a longer podcast. And I got to thank our sponsors. And if you want to support us, one, for all you YouTube people, subscribe on your way out if you haven't already. And if you could like this video as well. But got to thank DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com, they can deliver a piping hot calzone to your doorstep in the freezing cold. But hey, if they do, tip your delivery driver as well dpdo.com state farm agent brian hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life auto home business renters you name it brian is my guy he can be your guy as well cannot vouch highly enough for him and his staff we've been working with them for a few years and really happy to have them as part of the podcast state farm agent brian hansen 
Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. You may have noticed it's really cold out there. Reminds me of True Detective Night Country, which started on Sunday. It's in northern Alaska. Looks like a tundra. It's basically a tundra right now, and your furnace is probably working as hard as it possibly can. It is well worth it to get Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing to come check your HVAC system. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. And finally, got to thank... Owen Builders, LLC. Online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff, expert craftsmen, but the one thing that kind of sets them apart is they are really good at the communication piece, which if you've ever gotten home work done in your home, you know, depending on the contractor, communication can get a little frustrating. Not at all with Luke and his staff. Go online to owenbuildersllc.com to check out a gallery of their work and get a free quote. Thanks again, everybody. I really appreciate it for you sticking around as long as you did. Stay warm. If you go in the game tomorrow, you're going to see one heck of an environment. It will be something to see, for better or worse, for all the weirdness. Uh, but I will never truly have seen an environment like I will at State Farm Center tomorrow against Rutgers. See you soon, everybody. It is the 200 level. <laughs>